This is February 5th, and this is another edition of the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. It's good to have on the show uh, my good friend and colleague, Joe Haggerty of NBC Sports Boston. Hags, how you doing, my man? What's up, Murph? How are you, bud? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, obviously the big talk around Boston right now is uh, clearly the Patriots and their sixth Super Bowl. And, man, it's it's simply unreal what they're doing. And uh, we're lucky to witness it. And, uh, and it's very worthy of all the news it's getting right now. But something that, unfortunately, you know, it, it got me thinking, Joe. I was thinking back to the last time the Patriots won the Super Bowl and what happened during the parade. Uh, after that Super Bowl, something the Bruins tried to get out there and slide under the radar, of course, was Claude Julien getting fired by them uh, back in February of 2017. But now, you know, there's another thing I think that the Bruins want out there that unfortunately will probably fall under the radar, and that is Patrice Bergeron and him reaching a 1,000 games in his career. And uh, it's hard to believe it's been a 1,000 games and you know, I can remember back when he came in as a young, bug-eyed teenager and uh, just, you know, wowed everyone at training camp. And I guess just get right into it here, Joe. You know, off the bat, what's one of your greatest Bergeron memories, on or off the ice or both? Uh, for me, it's always going to be Game 7 against uh, against the Vancouver Canucks when he won the Cup. And what I remember was, obviously, he played a great game. Uh, Marshan played a great – that whole line played a great game uh, that day uh, to help them win. They needed everything that they could give them in order to win that game and win the Cup in Vancouver. But I'll never forget after the game was over, <clears throat> and this is just a few minutes after the game was over, uh, they needed uh, somebody – whoever it was. I don't know if it was uh, radio in Canada. I don't know if it was French-Canadian radio. I don't know if it was ESPN or NBC or what it was. But somebody wanted to talk to Patrice Bergeron right after the game was over. You and I see it all the time where these players get these interviews that they do right after the game is over for rights holders. Yeah. And I'll never forget Patrice Bergeron was, like, basically on the ground, like, exhausted. Like, he'd given everything that he had on the ice to win that cup. Like, every ounce of effort and energy had gone into winning that game. And he, like, couldn't even stand up. He was so exhausted. And he was kind of, like, crouched on the ground. Uh, doing the interview with the headphones on, still doing what he had to do and still doing what, you know, his responsibilities as a player were to do after the game, especially after winning a game of that magnitude. But, like, that, that there was nothing left to give. He'd given it all on his ice, and he was just summoning whatever else uh, superhuman uh, energy and, and power he has uh, in order to get that interview done. And it just it, – it spoke to me as a small example of just, like, who he is. You know, how he gives everything he has in practice. He gives everything he has in games. He gives everything he has in every single situation. He's just that kind of special player in person, and it makes him such a great example to, to just everybody, really, you know, uh, in the way he approaches his day-to-day life and the way he approaches his work as a hockey player. You know, there's so many other things that I, I can think about. My first year covering the team was his rookie season in Boston. I remember him. You know, as as a shy uh, French-Canadian kid that wasn't very confident in his English. He had the peach fuzz at 18 years old. uh, And he was in that locker room with Glenn Murray and and Joe Thornton and uh, Marty LaPointe and guys like that. You know, was a great player even then. You knew he was going to be special. But, like, you know, was such a small presence because he was such a young kid. And 
it was in no way prepared for jumping into the NHL as the youngest guy in the league. And you, you know, also go to the plane through the punctured lung against Chicago in game six and playing all the way to the end and, and gutting it out and, you know, the kind of toughness that he's shown on, on many different occasions playing through things. Or, you know, in 2007 when he had that concussion against the Flyers and, you know, we weren't sure if his career was over given how, you know, it took him the rest of that season to recover from it and, you know, how nightmarish that whole year was for him and how a brilliant career, one that's now approaching 1,000 games, might never ever even gotten to that point. Uh, if things had gone a different direction with him and the concussion. So, you know, there's a lot of different memories that go into, you know, 15-plus years in the league and 15-plus years covering that player. Um, but every single one of them is special. And, you know, Bergeron's one of those rare guys that's going to probably play for the Bruins his entire career, play in Boston his entire career, and will go down as one of the all-time greats and be beloved just because of everything about him. He's, he's a special player and a special person. Do you think, and I'll, I'll get to my memories in a second, Joe, but quickly, do you think he's too underrated as a, you know, a Boston superstar, so to speak? Because I, I do, and I don't think he gets enough credit in this market by the mainstream sports media. No, I don't think he does. You know, and part of that is being a hockey player. Part of that is him never calling attention to himself. He's always been that kind of guy. And I think he kind of likes it that way. I was actually talking to him about that today and, you know, how all of this stuff where it's about him makes him uncomfortable, you know, and asking him questions about his thousandth game. And, you know, when, when the questions become about his personal accomplishments, he always gets kind of uncomfortable and doesn't want to talk about it. And, uh-huh. You know, that may have something to do with why he is uh, a little underrated. And But, you know, I, I got to say, like, even though it is too bad that, like, the Super Bowl, the parade, like all that stuff is going to overshadow uh, Bergeron's thousandth game. It's almost appropriate because that's kind of the way it's always been for him. You know, yeah. this is just another example of that. It's it's like uh, no, nothing different from what's been the norm for him throughout his career in Boston with the Bruins. A brilliant career, uh, but one that, you know, within the scope of things, uh, you know, uh, even though he's as big in his sport as, as David Ortiz in baseball or Tom Brady in football, uh, you're probably going to not get that same level of, of hype around him doing something. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I mean, my memories are, you know, very similar to you. Uh, definitely, I, I think back, obviously, to that point when he took that hit uh, in the boards there. I forget the name of the guy in the Flyers, but... Uh, he Randy, Randy Smith. Randy Smith, that's right. Oh, Randy Jones. Was it Randy, Randy Jones? Jones. Yeah, Randy, Randy Jones. Jones. Yeah. It was some simpleton name, right? It was <laughs> Jones. Yes. But, um, you know, I remember just sitting there in, in like, shock, and I, I couldn't believe it. And I, you know, it, until that point... I, I just grown. I'd already grown an admiration for this kid, and he was so much younger than me. But he was just—he was so mature for his age, both on and off the ice. And we were already seeing that. And I was just like, "Wow, this is not good." And I remember going downstairs and seeing the stretcher um, come out from the, the rink. I was—I was, I had to go down and grab something actually. And I remember seeing him come out in the stretcher, and you know, you're just looking at him as he goes off into the ambulance, and I'm like this is not good, you know, like, are we going to see this guy on the ice again? Is this the end for him? Is he all right? Is he, is he paralyzed? No, nobody knew at that point. And thankfully all those things didn't come true. Um, but it was just one of those moments where, you know, your stomach just dropped and you fear the worst. And to see what he's done since then, like you said, what he's overcome. And he's had other injuries too, obviously, that we've spoken about that, that he's overcome. And you look at what he did this year, overcoming a, a – almost a month out of the lineup and coming back and he didn't even miss a beat. He got two goals in his first game back. That's just Patrice Bergeron. 
But some of the moments that I remember most, obviously the Game 7 against Toronto, I think another one would be that same playoff run when they lost in Game 6. And I happened, luckily, to get up to his stall or wherever he did it. I think he actually didn't do it in front of his stall. It was somewhere more on the far side. And getting next to him right as everybody was starting to pour in. And he literally leaned over to me and said in this really low voice, because he was so just out of breath from the ribs and everything he was going through, the broken ribs and, the, you know, the, every, all those injuries he combined, he just leaned over and he said, if I fall, hold me. Like, don't let me fall over. That's how much pain yeah. he was in. And, and to hear him say that and then just take on a barrage of questions like he always does, win or lose, rain or shine, no matter what, he's there to face the music and to see just the look in his face and knowing that he had just said that to me and knowing what he was feeling physically and then see what he was feeling emotionally to me. I'm just like, this guy's, I mean, he's one in a million, you know, I mean, he's everything you want. It's, it's like so many people have said, he's what you want to build a team around both as a person, a player, a teammate, et cetera. But I, I think some of the other things, Joe, were, were more what other people have said to me. And there was one thing that stands out to me the most was the year that the Penguins, uh, Crosby's first cup. So it would have been 2008, 09. And I think that was the year Bergeron came back at a full season. He was really good that year, and the Bruins got bounced by Carolina, right? I'm pretty sure in the second round. And then the Penguins beat Carolina, um, and then the Penguins go on to win the Cup. And before that playoff run, the Penguins were in late in the year. And I remember talking to Crosby. I said, you know, what have you learned about yourself? You know, you've been to a final now. You've, you've done this. You've done that. But you haven't won that Cup. You've got another chance. And he said, I've learned that if I want to be – the best I can be, i got to be like that guy 37 in the other dressing room. And to hear Sidney Crosby say that to me was just, that's all you need to know. You know what I mean? It was like that spoke volumes to me. And, of course, we've heard guys like Mark Recchi and Marty LaPointe, his former teammates uh, who mentored him, talk about it. But to hear Crosby say that, that, that just sort of cemented it for me. Like, this guy's the real deal, you know? No, no doubt. I mean, it speaks volumes. But everybody you run into that, you know, has come cr- across paths with Bergeron has very similar things to say. They, he just greatness personified. It's good stuff. He really is. And look, Joe, uh, I don't think that everyone's going to say greatness personified when I ask you about the next Boston Bruin here. Um, but we got to, whether you like him, you hate him, whether you believe he's a good goalie or not, or he's an elite goalie or not, whether you think he's overrated money-wise or not, you've got to give props where it where it's due, and Tuka Rask is now the winningest goalie in Boston Bruins history. Busting in for a chance, Good strength, obviously, by Ovi, but Rask stays with him and shuts him down. Big save again from Tuka Rask. Two seconds left. Tara gets tipped. That's all. Tuka Rask has become the winningest goaltender in the history of the Boston Bruins. 253 wins as he goes by Tiny Thompson. A shutout for Rask. What does that do for Tuka in his career here? What does that say to you about him? I know you've been critical of him. I've been critical of him times. It's kind of a love-hate relationship sometimes with Tuka, but what did that moment say about you and the way he did it, too, in that game against Washington, breaking that curse against the Capitals and getting the shutout? Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt he's a good goaltender. You know, he's won a Vesna, He's an all-star before. Like, he's he's been in the Stanley Cup final. There's no question he's a good goalie. 
and he's been with the Bruins a long time, and you have to give him credit for getting the all-time wins, and you have to give him credit for, you know, just being certainly one of the best goalies that's ever come through Boston, given some of the other goalies that, you know, and, and there was a long period of time before Tukaraz got here where, you know, it would be every few years there would be a new goalie coming in or out, and he's he stopped that for, for a long time now, for 10 years almost. You know, certainly when he came in as Tim Thomas's backup, and now that he's gotten the job himself, um, so like he stops that sort of cycle of of every couple of years a new goalie comes in. But we've also seen this before with you know him getting hot in December, January, February. Um, the only thing I would say is different now is like some of the big games that he's doing it on. He did it in the Winter Classic. That was a big stage on national TV before the Super Bowl against the Washington Capitals yesterday. Um, Certainly, uh, given that the Bruins really needed to beat that team, there was a lot on the line in that game. And he played extremely well. In the third period, those 11 saves he made, he was holding the team together while they were running around in their own end and clearly just hanging on for dear life. So, you know, is this a different element we're seeing out of Tuka Rask now? I don't know. Maybe. You know, he's certainly showing it now. Uh, but we're going to have to see it in, in uh, April, May, and June instead of the middle of the season before you really believe that there's something different about Tuka Rask. But the way that he's playing right now, give him credit. He's playing extremely well and doing it at the biggest moments, and that's what you want your goalie to do. My question to you, Joe, all right, I agree with some of what you're saying there. And, and yeah, I, I think there's been times where he needed to make those big saves, but I think he's making them more and more, and like you said, he's making them more and more in big games. My problem right now with Tuka, and I'm not – I'm not trying to make an excuse for him, but is it possible that he'll continue to do that in those big games, but they're not going to get the results, and it's not necessarily his fault because we, we really know what's wrong with this Bruins team right now. We'll get to that in a bit, but, I mean, it's that they can't score, and Tuka Rask can't score goals. So, I mean, you look at that game against Philly, I, I thought he was unreal in that game, and I don't blame that game on him at all. I thought he came up with those big saves, and Cassidy said it afterwards. He made saves at timely places in the game where we needed it, but we didn't, you know, feed off it, and we didn't do our job on the other end. And that's what I fear is going to happen with this team. Like, I I look at this team right now, and they're one goal or one player away from maybe getting over the hump. And and, and the realistic thing is they're not beating Tampa Bay. So with all that said, you know, unless he goes into the conference final, or their division final, rather, because they can play other division, and steals a series against Tampa, you know, is he ever going to get his, the monkey off his back here? Because I, or, or until the team gets some scoring in front of him, can he get that monkey off his back? Yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I, I, you just can't play like you played in Game 7 against Toronto last year. That's the point that I'm no. making. Okay. He, was, he was far from their best player. Uh, but you're right. There are other problems on this team for sure. Yeah, and, I, and let's talk quickly. I know you're in a hurry, but with those problems right now, look, we're hearing name after name attached to the Bruins and how interested they are. Uh, Pierre Maguire, uh, as recently as Friday, was saying that, you know, his contacts are telling him that the Bruins and Rangers are once again engaged in serious trade talks. Of course, they hooked up on a Rick Nash trade last year. And, and you know, one that Don Sweeney's getting crucified for these days, but at the same time, uh, no one could foresee Nash getting another concussion and retiring. Um, but right now, you look at that, some of the names that are being mentioned, is there one that stands out to you that they really should just hone in on and forget the rest? Uh, or maybe do they need to spread the wealth and maybe make more than one deal? If I were Don Sweeney, I would try to make more than one deal, and I would try to bring a couple of forwards in, um, a center and a winger, um, of potentially a top six guy. 
Yeah. Uh, this, well, look, you're going to have to get a home run with the winger. Uh, you know, there's going to have to be a goal-scoring player that can create offense and, you know, make them a, a multi-line threat as far as the team goes so you can't just, like, hone in on Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak. Uh, and and that's, that one has to be a home run. You know, they may or may not uh, get the third-line center. You know, maybe they got a guy in Braden Shen who could do yeah, either one. Yep. You know? Yeah. Because he's signed for a year, because he can do multiple things. Exactly. You know, he's coming off a career year last year. There's a lot of good things to like about him. You're also going to have to pay more for him than you will for those other players that are in the last year of their contract. But in in a perfect world, I think Shen is the guy that I'd want. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And, I mean, you look at some of the – you know, I've had – I'm sure you've heard the same things, and I think you reported before when they were first interested in Panarin. But, I mean, you know, we're told the – the ask right now is going to start with DeBrusque uh, as far as a roster player on the, on the Bruins lineup there. And that's the thing I think people don't get, not even when it comes to the, the, just the Bruins, to any team that wants to get Panarin, Joe, is that Columbus isn't going to deal him just for a prospect and pick. I mean, with all due respect to Bob McKenzie, who we know is the most connected guy in the business, when he's saying that a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and a prospect could get Panarin, I wholeheartedly disagree. And that, that goes against everything I'm hearing right now because – Columbus is in a playoff race. They're in a division race. They're in. This is supposed to be their year to actually win a playoff series. And, and Yamo Kikulani is going to just, like, not replace a, a roster player as much as he can there. He needs a roster player back. And with the Bruins, it looks like it's going to be Jake DeBrus. And I, I just don't do that right now. No, I don't think you can. Uh, but if you're Columbus, you're also being held hostage by Bobrovsky and Pernarin, who clearly don't want to be there anymore. Oh. Puts him in a tough spot where the value is down on those players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think the other thing you look at too, Joe, is the center position as well in that third-line center slot. And I know Frederick is the latest guy that they're trying to see if they can do it mm-hmm. internally. But I know for a fact when he's looking at other centers, man, externally. And, I don't blame them. And you look at the way – sometimes I almost say, you know what, if they can get a legit third-line center, that will help almost as much as that year. because if you look at all the teams that win the Cup, they're loaded one, two, three up the middle, right? Yep, no doubt. And, yeah, you, you can't really afford to have a young player there. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, listen, Joe, I know you're in a hurry, my friend. Next time you're on, we'll let you answer some of the questions from the Bruins' uh, beat inbox. But I appreciate you taking the time here. That, uh, we wish you the best. I'll see you around the rink, bud. You got it, Murph. Take care, buddy. All right, Joe Haggerty from NBC Boston joining me here. And, again, yeah, we'd love to have him on longer there. But uh, I'll tell you what, he does a great job for NBC Boston. I'm not just saying that because he's, he's one of my buddies. He's, he's, a true, uh, he's a true reporter when it comes to it, guys. I highly urge you to follow him at Hacks with Hags if you're not already doing it. But chances are if you're a Bruins fan, you are. Let's look over right now to uh, that inbox I, I brought up. And before we do that, I want to remind everybody uh, of our sponsor right now, or two of our sponsors, actually, uh, ZipRecruiter. And, of course, uh, you know what's not smart? Job boards that send you candidates that aren't qualified for the role you posted. Job boards that send you a mile-high stack of resumes to sort through. Job boards that make you wait for the right people to apply for your job. And job boards that assume qualified candidates will see and apply to your job posts. But you know what is smart? going to ZipRecruiter.com slash BostonBeat to hire the right person. That's right. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. 
That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employees, employers in the U.S. This rating comes from the hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash BostonBeat. If you love this show, show your support and show ZipRecruiter Zip the support and yourself, if you're an employer, by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash BostonBeat. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash BostonBeat. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, let's get into some of our questions here. And, man, I, I put it out on Monday, only two hours before we had Joe on here just now. Uh, and, man, you guys got a great response. Uh, I think we've got at least six questions, so let's get right into it here. This is the Bruins Beat inbox here on the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And uh, let's go right now to Alec By. That's at Alec underscore B-A-J-A. Murph, so if we're to make a trade package involving DeBrasco Panarin, who would move up to the wing or who would keep Solaric, uh with Krejci and Panarin? Or would we keep Solaric with Krejci and Panarin? Excuse me. Well, Alec, you know, I, I would say they're maybe hoping that Donato can get his stuff together in Providence and maybe he comes up in time to do that. Who knows? Uh, I, I think Solaric's done well there. Um, but that's a great question because it's almost like addition by subtraction. And you're not really rounding out that uh, line in terms of numbers and having three three guys there that you depend on for scoring. You're just bringing in a better scorer at this current time in his career in Panarin over DeBrusque. Uh So that's something I think the Bruins got to, you know, look at. And I think it goes back to what Hatch and I were saying earlier in this podcast is, you know, maybe they do multiple moves. And maybe that's where that player you're looking for right there comes in. Uh, I agree with that. I think there's going to be more than one move made by the Bruins. I'm not sure it's going to be the home run that everybody wants, you know, Tarasenko or Panarin. Uh, but right now, I, I think Sweeney's looking to address multiple needs here, uh, both now and in the future, without sacrificing too much of the current roster or people he feels are knocking on the door. And I'm talking to Trent Frederick, uh, who's obviously in the current roster right now, or um, you know, guys like that, Donato, who's been up and down. Donato has been out there, though, and I know the teams all season have been asking for him there. Uh, the Bruins have received offers for him. Until this point, though, they haven't seen anything that they like, and I don't know if they're ready to just give up on him yet. I think the move, and they're learning that the move might have been to have him in Providence the whole year. But the past is the past. You've got to live in the present, and that's what they're going to do. So we'll see what happens in that respect. Uh, Ray Garino, uh, that's at Ray, G-U-A-R-I-N-O, asked me, who do you think will be the top six D-men next season based on who may get dealt, retired, and developed enough to make it? Wow. You know, I wish I looked at this before I read it on, on the air here, uh, Ray, but I think Chara comes back, well, depending on how he does down the stretch run here. But let's just say Chara's back again. So we got Chara, McAvoy, all right? And you've got Carlo. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I don't think Krug is there. Okay? So, um, that's going to be interesting to see how they replace that. Uh, I would say you move Grizzlick into that spot right there. So, let's say you got Grizzlick, Charo McAvoy, Brandon Carlo, Matt Grizzlick, uh, 
And then in that third pairing, that's the big one where a lot of the question marks are, I think. I think you're going to see John Moore, though I wonder if the Bruins rethink that whole contract there. He's at a reasonable price, and other teams might be interested in him. I'll tell you right now, I've had scouts recently in the last month at some games I've been at. Now, I've had some people, and also just in some text here and there, like scouts just asking, not saying, hey, we're interested in him, but just out of the blue saying, what do you think of John Moore? What have you thought of him this year? What's his progression been like? Really in-depth questions about John Moore coming from other pro scouts around the NHL, and that makes me think, you know, the obvious thing would be that they're scouting him and looking at him as a potential trade piece or that they would want to acquire. So that's going to be something interesting to uh, watch. I don't see it happening in season, but what if a deal comes along where, where Sweeney says, you know what? I can save – well, it's not it's not that bad of a cap hit there, but he can he can save a little money or, you know, maybe he just sees a better replacement. So John Moore is something – that's a big if right there. But right now, let's just say, uh, you know, and that, again, you can't – you know, it is going to be interesting here, huh? That's a tough one you're asking me here in this top six. So you got Carl Grizzlick, uh, let's say Moore – and Miller, but then I think you look at a guy like Lousin or Zaboral, if they don't get dealt before the deadline here at the draft, you look at someone like them coming in and maybe being that seventh, sixth guy. But let's just say, tentatively speaking right now, I say Chara McAvoy, all right? I say Carlo Grizzlick and Moore Miller. And then Lousin or Zaboral is the extra. All right, let's go ahead to the next question here on the Bruins Beat Inbox. Uh, it comes from Ryan Curry. He's at Rye Curry. That's R-Y-E-C-U-R-R-R-I-E. Um, do you think they'll make a move sooner rather than later? In other words, I guess, you know, before the deadline. Yeah, I do. I think a move could be coming this week, actually. I record this on Monday, February 4th. I think a move could be coming this week. All right? Uh, so I could definitely see something happening there. Um do you think the Bruins will extend Shire? And if they do, how much do you think it would be for? Well, I was just saying, yeah, I do think they will, but I think it, the price has to go down, and he has to understand that. As his age goes up, the price comes down. And he hasn't exactly had a good stretch of games here in the last month, but he did pick it up after he was called out by the coach. He had a great game in Washington, though he kind of was a little weak on clearing the puck out. But uh, I think they do extend him, given that they're not one round and out and just decide to blow everything up. Uh, if they do, I'd say more in the three million range, uh, and for one year. Uh, Mark Iarati, it's KRAM nine three two nine one at KRAM nine three two nine one. Another Char question here. He says Char's declining speed and mobility make him a defensive liability. Should Sweeney put sentiment aside and not offer him a contract for next season? Well, that's kind of a different question. Do I think they keep him? Yes. Should they keep him? Well, I, I think it depends. If they go and they say they lose to Tampa Bay in seven games, or they make a, an amazing upset in the, in the second round and they get past Tampa Bay and they lose in the conference final or the final, I don't think they win winning the cup, but I think they could if they do get by Tampa Bay, but who knows. It all depends on what happens in the playoffs. At this point, should he offer him one? I think he should sit down with him and say, you know, you'll know your role. The minutes are going to go down, but we love having you around. If you think you can do it, we're in for it, but again, at a cheaper price. Um, 
But a lot depends on what happens in this stretch run. So get back to me at the end of the season, even the regular season, if you want to revisit it. Um, James Sheehan, that's at James Sheehan 199. He asked me, what move do you think the Bruins end up making? I'm not sure yet. I, I, I do think that he's going to get a center. I think he's going to get external help for the third line center slot. Uh, I think he, I think they'll get what they hope to be a scoring winger for the second line, whether that's, you know, a superstar scoring winger um, or a mid-grade guy, so to speak. I don't know, but they will get a winger. And I also don't ever, ever count out a defenseman coming in because Don Sweeney loves to have D-men, and all teams love to have as many defensemen as they can, even though that is the Bruins' deepest spot. But they do love to have as many defensemen as they can in the playoffs, so who knows if he brings in, like, a depth guy or something. We'll see. Moves out a depth guy, brings in a better one. Who knows? Uh, But that's what I think will happen. I I, I think a third-line center, uh, mid-grade to high-grade scoring winger, and a deft defenseman. Those are the moves I think happen uh, with Don Sweeney and the Boston Bruins by the February 25th deadline. Uh, before we go, we want to remind our listeners as well that you need to check out uh, one of our, our great sponsors. And, you know, I worked with Joe McDonald for a while at ESPN Boston. I've been friends with him for a long time. And I'm so psyched that he's writing over at The Athletic because The Athletic kind of represents to me what I wish – all news outlets could still be like, I wish there were still a lot of newspapers. I know they're a dying breed. Call me a dinosaur. Shows my age. I know. It is what it is. But I just miss, you know, kicking back on a Sunday and reading uh, the Sunday sports section. And You know, I always used to read Kevin Paul DuPont from the Globe. Well, you know what? You go to The Athletic uh, and you can basically – get that type of experience where you kick back and you read in-depth articles, whether it's a weekly column or whether it's an in-depth feature. Joe McDonald has a great feature over at the Athletic Boston right now on Patrice Bergeron. He didn't reach a thousand games. He talked to a multitude of people. Um, It's just, it's a great publication. I highly urge you to go over and subscribe. And uh, this episode is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. The model is simple. No ads, no pop-ups, and no autoplay videos. Instead, readers get in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams and leagues inside and out. Today's Bruins Beat listeners can get 40% off by using the promo Bruins Beat, making the subscription $2.99 a month. Again, the promo code is Bruins Beat. Subscribe today by using the promo code Bruins Beat. For be, to be a part of the future of sports journalism. And, as I said, the past kind of, because that's the feeling you get when you read that. Listen, before we let you go, I'm not going to let you go on, a, uh, on an ad read there, and God bless the athletic, but Patrice Bergeron me uh, reaching 1,000 games. I'll tell you one thing. It makes me feel old because um, I pretty much covered him my whole career. He came in in the third season of me covering the Bruins. Um, and he, by far, is – not just in hockey, and I've covered baseball, basketball, football, what have you, or anything. News I've done, music. is the classiest, uh, most well-rounded person. Uh, just forget, we've all, we know his accolades on the ice, but one of the best people I've ever met in this business. All right, and I, I, I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but, you know, Patrice, I just got to say, for me, covering you, for the last thousand games, and how many years that is, and getting to know you and seeing you grow into the man you are right now. Uh, look, you know, I'm proud to know you. 
I'm proud to have covered you, and I'm proud to even consider your friends. I, I, you know, you're just a you're a class act, and you know, I've said it before here, and I'll say it again. And I'll tell you quickly just the two stories uh, that cement him as a person to me, and what a wonderful person he is. You know, it's just the loyalty and the friendship he formed for Matt Brown, my friend, and his friend. Uh, the Norwood ho- hockey player who was paralyzed back in uh, 2011, um, and, and how he's kept in touch with him. It, wa- it wasn't just one of these things where the team forced him to go see this uh, player who had suffered a horrible accident and be there again at some charity event. That's not what it is to Patrice Bergeron. When he does these things, he forms relationships with these people, and he follows up to make sure that their life is getting better. And he does that all the time with Matt Brown. And then, you know... The other thing would be when last year my friend Gord Fairholm passed away up in Montreal, a huge Bruins fan, uh, and as a result was his uh, his family, his son and daughter and his wife. And, you know, his son, Ryan, his favorite player is Patrice Bergeron. And when he passed away, I, I couldn't make it up, unfortunately, for the services because I was working here and then I was sick. And, and it was, you know, I went to, to Bergeron and I said right away, can, can you help me out? Can you? Can you maybe send something up to him, a picture or something? He said, sure, get a good photo of me, bring it in. So I went to uh, to Babino Photography there, to Babs, and um, he got me a great photo of Bergie, and I brought it. Patrice got a sign right away, wrote him a nice note, and this all happened within like 48 hours. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just a class act, and, and that meant the world to that family uh, with what they were going through. And, you know, he always asked, he's the type of guy that always asks the reporters, how's things with you? How's the kids? How's this? What's up? And he wants to talk hockey. He is the epitome of what, if you have a, a child that's an athlete, or just a child, he's the epitome of what you want that boy to grow up to be. That is Patrice Bergeron. Congratulations, Bergie. Uh, you deserve everything you get, and I hope you can see more Stanley Cups in your time here in Boston. Uh, it's been a pleasure covering you, and I look forward to many more. Uh, experiences covering you and just talking hockey with you. Uh, this is Jimmy Murphy. This has been the Bruins Beat on CLS Media. We'll talk to you next week. I remember seeing Travis Roy when he first played at BU and not a dissimilar hit. Now let's hope that uh, this is not will end up not being like that.
Delay now. 